So, dear, have you had much success working with digital agencies in the past? Well, as you know, I had an agent. I had a digital agency. And since I sold that, I've come to understand how rare a beast that was because I could totally rely on it to do all of my own digital work. And it's it's tricky to find really high-quality digital agencies. I use a couple, but uh, it's not a simple process to find a good one. And for the rest of us who don't own agencies like you do or did, it is really hard. And we were, we've been super lucky to find and work with the superstars at Digital Minds Group for almost a decade, actually. And they've helped us scale the business. I think we we're probably doing about 20 million bucks at the time in sales. And we're obviously almost at a billion now. And the main difference between Digital Minds and other agencies is Digital Minds are really well structured to take on your own business's KPIs. They essentially act as an extension of your own internal team. And that allows DMG to scale as you grow your business. So whether you're spending a few hundred thousand dollars a month on digital marketing or even a few million, Digital Minds have the best specialists in digital media to supercharge your growth. And their client base really speaks for themselves. They work with Gumtree, Cars Guide, News, Merry People, Blue Thumb, and of course, they work with us at Luxury Escapes. So if you're keen to have a chat with them, I know they'll be super happy to look after any Contrarians listeners and even conduct an audit of all your paid media. So go to Digital Minds Group com.au and click on the big orange button to book a strategy call with the team. Hi everyone and welcome to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir, the only pod that takes you behind the scenes and gives you the inside word on the world of tech and growth from the insiders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of Luxury Escapes, journalist and angel investor and I'm joined by my great mate Adir Schiffman, Executive Chairman of Catapult Sports and Serial Investor. In today's episode, we're talking about the tough business of online dating apps, the public listing of pharmacy giant, Chemist Warehouse, and the vexed subject of working from home. And welcome episode 18, back in the Lux office with our fancy setup. Mike's here. Adia's kids are in the, in the room, which is a big thrill for me. Probably less of a thrill for you. No, no, it's very thrilling for me. And 18, lucky number for Jewish people. Very so lucky. that's good. So now I've got my kids in the room for this. It's all coming together for me. How was your week? Did you get up to much? Um, well, school, first week of school holiday. So I just tried to hang out with my kids as much as possible, hence them being in the room for the podcast. They're actually, they're actually very interested in, uh, in the whole process of the podcast and, uh, you know, periodically listen to it, I'll say. So it's nice. So that's mostly what I was doing. I'm lucky enough that my kids are still at primary school and they go to public school. So they, they punch through till the 20th of December. Do they even have holidays? (laughs) Yeah, get a week. Uh, then we obviously head off to London on the, on the day before that. So we have no time at home with the kids, which is, which is nice. We actually had our Christmas parties last. I was in, had our Christmas party in Melbourne at uh, Creative Cubes, which is, which is fantastic, which, with John Corse on the deck. Oh, and that's great. Last week we had uh, our Sydney Christmas party, which is up, obviously up in Sydney. And we had DJ Smoking Joe Bars, who, who's one of our fantastic uh, market managers. And he was, he was called in last minute and absolutely smashed it. So we, really, our, our local talent out there. John Course. You'd like the cost saving attached to having one of your own staff be like a DJ, co- wouldn't a, you? It's a definition of synergy, I think. <laughs> and did people did people really party? Like, did they really get into it at the Christmas party? Yeah, so if, I think back our best Christmas parties. Or I, I love Christmas parties. Not for the I'm not a drinker, obviously. So not for that that element of it, but just for the the moment in time and that you sort of it's a bit like a lot of birthday at the business that you think back. I think about our first Christmas party yeah. as a business. We had it at Silks actually, which is the restaurant, yeah. the Chinese the, restaurant, the Crown, Crown restaurant. Yeah. There was I think eleven of us there sitting around it was super awkward uh, I had a couple of uh, our, our developers who are Vietnamese guys and uh, who, who are fantastic guys uh, it was a, it was a 
sort of unusual event. And then I fast forward six years later, and we probably when we were coming of age, 2016, and we yeah. had probably 70 people. Uh, so Martine, who obviously worked with us for a long time, uh, we had we were moving offices and we ran out of space. We got this just around the corner in South Melbourne. We got this sort of terrace house we used as a effectively a contact centre. It's not like 10 people in, or not even maybe eight people in there. So heaps of space, and, and we moved to our brand new office. And the contact, we didn't have that. So that was sort of an empty terrace house now. And Martin said, well, why don't we use that for the Christmas party? I thought, that's a pretty good idea. So we got uh, some guys who basically cocktail makers in. I went to Dan Murphy's and bought five grand worth of random spirits, so like hundreds yeah. of bottles of spirits. And people could have just limitless cocktail. It was like a full-on frat party. It was. I still remember that. It's probably our our best ever Christmas party. And this year, we gave it a pretty good shake. So we, we had all you can drink there. The alcohol actually ran out at nine PM, so I had to pop down to. I literally went down to BWS, filled a trolley up with like two thousand bucks worth of alcohol, and put it back upstairs, and that lasted till till the end. But people got. I'm not a drinker, as you know, but the, the rest of the business clearly is. So you don't really drink loose. anything. I actually don't even know what you drink. You don't drink alcohol. Well, I don't drink much alcohol either. You don't drink alcohol. You don't drink coffee. I can see you in front of me. You're drinking water now. Is that basically? I mean, basically, your your liquid consumption consists of water. Water, sparkling water, and apple tizer are probably the three. Apple tizer, uh, which is water with, a, water with a bit of apple juice in it, right? Yeah. Apple tizer is my indulgence. I'm surprised that people get so excited about Christmas parties still and go nuts because – so my favourite Christmas parties were always parties where I was very close and somehow involved with the business – yeah, but it was not my business. Do you still do you go to Daddy Blooms or any of those? Yeah, parties? I try to go to these yeah. Christmas parties, but the one so I would go to these Christmas parties of like Aura Group, which was Calvin yeah. Ng and Calvin Eric, and, yeah, Eric yeah. Uh, Chan and John Calenda. Yeah, and that would be John JK loves like doing things big. Yeah, and so it would either be on a boat on <laughs> on Sydney Harbour, or one time it was on the island on Sydney oh, Harbour. Yeah, yeah. and what's like, it called? What's it's it called the island. Oh, I thought it was yeah. a different name, like well, Skull Island. There is an island, but this is like this floating like uh, pontoon kind oh, of massive no, pontoon. A fa- yeah. It was un- with a bar on it, and like you literally are doing like. I would have thought the ratio of male to female at all is probably slightly imbalanced, or am I wrong there? No, it was actually. Balanced. I think there was all, a lot of like clients invited oh, okay. and whatever else. Yeah. And it was this insane massive party. And the great thing about it was it was lots of fun. I loved all of the people there. Yeah. I'm very, I was very close to that business and yeah. involved with them, but I didn't have to organize it. I didn't have to yeah. pay. It was none of it was oh, my problem. It's like the best fun, the best event is your best mate's party because you know who I'm there and you know, it's, you don't have that responsibility. It's not your problem, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. That, that, that's how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. This is like, this is your Christmas party that I get to come to and talk. Yeah, this is great. So I saw this graph that you might find interesting given you just had a Christmas party where people had a lot of drinks and the graph was how people, how couples met from yep. 1950 to I lo- 2023. I love this concept of, of how people meet. And 1950, lots and lots of people met through like introductions through friends. Yep. A surprising what percentage? I don't remember the numbers, but that, that might have been 50%. Oh, yeah. That was a very high Pretty number. High. Yep. And then this number met through college, but interestingly, a whole ton of people met through high school. So oh, people really? were still like, yeah, dating, their, marrying their high school sweethearts in the 50s. And uh, people got married young then, I guess. Much so. younger. And people also met through neighbors. And then what you yeah. see is over time, all of those diminish. Family and f- meeting through friends doesn't really diminish. Yep. Then you see the rise of the bar, people meeting in yep. bars. And that was really big in the 80s where I met and my wife, 90s. You know? oh, that's uh, where you met your wife? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And so that. Rose in the 80s and 90s. What year did you meet her? 2009. All right, July. so you were maybe keeping that curve alive, but it was really diminishing <laughs> it was by that pre, point. Pre-app. Right. Just but, before the apps came So out. what's interesting is you then see this graph. So everything diminishes over time, everything. Yeah. Except in 
the 1980s, this new line begins, which is called online. What was, so what was, what was work back in the oh, that's the Yes, that's the point that I'm going to come to, what okay. work did, yes. And so we're going to get to that. Okay. But um, – because, you know, this, this is related to the Christmas party story. Are you yeah, following absolutely. where I'm there, going there with this? There is a segue. Okay, yeah. good. All right, good. Uh, just tell me if I lose you, okay? Yeah, you got good. me. Got <laughs> me. <laughs> just a good yeah. and, so, and so basically you see this line start growing – and the line is online. And so in the 80s, I guess people were meeting through chat rooms and bulletin boards. You, you may, may or may not Pretty know what those were, but it was – yes, board. correct. It was like 1%, okay? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you see this very steep growth of the line as the World Wide Web starts appearing, which yeah. would be late 90s, early 2000s. Then the curve that, – that goes up very quickly and starts competing with the very top performer, which is still meeting through friends at that point in really time. taking off – RSVP was a thing of Australia, but there's obviously the US. 2000s to 2010, it's, it's rocketing. I would have thought even till 2010, it was still pretty minor. So 2010, it's exceeding everything except meeting, really? meeting through friends. Yep. So it's got to what, 30% then? Yeah, let's say ballpark. Yep. And then flattens off a bit. And then in the early 2010s, it, the curve gets even steeper and it rockets. Yep. And it becomes by far the biggest way for people to meet in 2023. And that's obviously the rise of the apps and mobile yep. and smartphones. And so what do you think like what do you think work looked like? Well work was I think always about thirty percent from my understanding. So obviously it was lower in the nineteen fifties than in it was the nineteen eighties. Yeah, because there weren't as many women at work in of the nineteen fifties. Yeah. And so it was much bigger in the nineteen eighties and nineties yep. yep. than the nineteen fifties, but it was prominent all the way through and it was a very popular way to meet. Yeah. And where do you think it rates now compared to, you know, college well, and family well, friends the whole and that kind thing of thing? Has really hurt it because you can't I think the, I think the challenge with the whole call it the whole Me Too thing. I think there's there's Me Too started with an outlier being the Harvey Weinstein who was a, a rapist and yep. despicable and all that stuff. And it, but it convicted. We can say convicted. these things about him because yeah, he's convicted yeah, and he's sitting and, in jail. And he deserved what he what he got. Yeah. And, there's, and there was other Harvey Weinstein type people yeah. out there who who got who deserved what they got as well. But it, it infiltrated from the Harvey Weinstein rapist to just normal. And then you got then you got the and Scott Galloway talks about this. If you're a CEO, or if you're a very senior person. There's a real argument you should never be with anybody at work because there is always a power imbalance. So yeah. as Scott Galloway says, if you're the CEO of a big company, just go elsewhere because there's never a situation where – I think that's where, good advice. Right. I think that's probably today. fair as well. Yeah. But maybe it's slightly different in private companies, but certainly for public companies. No, and, I think that – And big companies, that, that that's a no-brainer. And, and yeah. uh, if you're a really small business, probably a little bit different. But there's a real argument if you're very senior, it's probably always out of bounds. The problem is it's infiltrated to just call it even same level or peers now yeah. where I think people are – too scared to do stuff. I, we've had a number of luxury escapes couples over the years and people are married and had kids yeah. and I think it's fantastic and it's yeah. a real testament to the strength of a business that, that happens. But it's harder and harder because I think people are, are too – I don't think that helps anyone. So I know lots of people that are happily married, having met at work. Some of them certainly were boss and re- report. And this is not – to diminish some of the legitimate points about that power imbalance yep. and what happens if it's unrequited interest, mm-hmm. which is problematic. But my view today is my advice would be to males look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so workers have diminished almost to zero on these zero. graphs. Almost, almost, almost to zero. I'm, I'm surprised it's and that low. It's been repl- – so it might be – I think it was, it was sub 5%. I thought it would be – 15%. No, I think it's just too risky for people. And you think about all of the places that I've just mentioned. So introduction from friends, yeah. that could still be a legitimate way to meet. And it, and it does have yeah. some, some – like it's still Yeah, it's, st- it's low. Like it's low. online kills everything, everything. I think online is running at 60-plus percent I spoke now. to um, 
one of the um, great marketing people who works here who's, who's, who's a super talent. And she was saying uh, she met her partner um, through apps. I'm saying, oh, I would have loved to have been on the apps, mm. but obviously missed them and, and that was that. And she was saying, no, no, I hate them, I hate them. But met her partner and obviously has a great partner and, and yeah. get along great. Uh, so it seems like everybody, even people who use apps, everybody hate them. Yeah, like, everybody hates the app and everyone yeah. is using them to meet people. Yeah. And, you know, like the one that gets a bad rap in a way is Tinder. But, like, there's such a proliferation of apps yeah. for various purposes now. And so you think about apps. So you can't do things at work because of the risk. Yeah. Like even pubs are, are risky now, yeah. because bars, because, yeah. you know, like you can't just go up to someone and hit on them in a bar now because that's a recipe for potential disaster if, again, they're not interested. And all of these traditional ways, high school people don't do anymore because they get married much later and so high school sweethearts are pretty unusual now. You kind of outgrow that relationship. College is still a bit popular, but, yeah, it's, it's just amazing the proliferation What's of online though, dating. I was looking up match. So Match.com owns – Tinder, Bumble, uh, they basically dominate online dating. Which is part of uh, Barry Dillers, I see, Barry Dillers sort of. Business. Yeah, so Barry yeah. Dillers, I think, still is a big shareholder there. So yeah. Barry Dillers, originally a, a TV executive who went yeah. into sort of a Fox executive, I think. Is that right? Oh, I think Paramount. He sometimes he was a few okay. of them, and then he went into travel. So he's one of the yeah. Expedia. Didn't found it, bought off Microsoft, etc. What he's done with IAC, I've often looked at as to try and emulate some of what he's yeah. done with that. It was very smart. He's one of the best talent in terms of listening to people on, in podcast. I love listening to Barry Dillers. Yeah. He's He's obviously Darek Khosrowshahi from Uber's mentor. So yeah. I've probably got one book. of the most influential people in, in online ever. I've got a book that he wrote and I bought it at some place of like uh, – like it might have even been – I think it was new but it was in a very obscure bookstore. Yeah. It wasn't expensive. And then I looked on Amazon. How much if I went and bought yeah. this book on Amazon – it basically doesn't exist. It was like nine hundred dollars yeah, or something. You can't. It's like market pricing goes all. Yeah, the because there's no there's no copies printed, but it's yeah. it's so insightful. Yeah, so insightful. So there was um all about Barry Diller's protege is called Diller Killer. So they, they started right? running all these different businesses. Okay. Uh, anyway, looking at Match, which is effectively a proxy for online dating, because it's the by yeah. far the biggest, yeah. and it's trading at nine billion US market cap, which is pretty low for a business that really is the only online dating investable business, and it hasn't. Looking at share price, it hasn't really done much. Well, I think in the problem is the website. The share price has done nothing really. So it had a big run up. It went from sort of caught fifteen bucks a share pre pre COVID, or no, sorry, it was about thirty bucks a share pre COVID. Hit one fifty, back to thirty. It's it's kind of done nothing. So all this apps are. So I think that goes to the. Is there really a business model there that's overly profitable? Well, the it's problem really that, hard. So I've spoken to people that are in this industry over the years. The fundamental problem with this industry is quite an interesting one, which is this. If the app succeeds, you stop, you're yeah, off stop the, you churn off. And yeah. if the app fails, you churn off. Yeah. And so there is no long-term customer for the app. Yeah. And you know how hard it is. Customer acquisition is a, a very hard thing to do yeah. and it's expensive. You do it, a I do it. A lot of competitors. Yeah, and like in general, like it's hard to get new customers. You love retaining your existing customers. Yeah. And this is an industry where you cannot retain existing customers. Remember Hinge was one of the – Hinge was started by a young guy and he, that the motto was made to be deleted or something like that. Yeah. Where's that effect? So it, you're right. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a business I'd want to get in. It's a race to the bottom. It's commoditized. If the number one player, which is dominant, is only worth $9 billion US globally. Think in travel, the dominant player's booking.com is $100 billion. Yeah. Uh, is $100 billion. Obviously, travel's a bigger basket size, but they're kind of similarly, similarly ubiquitous. Yeah. Yet this this – this whole industry, which has changed the way people live, it's who you live with is probably the most, if you think of the most important decisions you make in your life, who you live with, where you live and what you do, the three yeah. biggest things. This is one of the big three, probably the most important. And it's the whole value of this whole industry is like 
caught 20 billion? I know. Like, if that? Let me say one last thing on these apps, and then I want to tell you something else that was based on what we spoke about last week briefly. I've got an answer to something. So my, one of my issues with these apps is they were designed – one of the pitches about these apps was that they were empowerment apps, especially for women. Especially Bumble. Yeah, which Bumble. Women, which, make, which requires women to make the first move. I know, but if you think about – these apps and the way that you interact with human beings on these apps. So your assessment of people on these apps is effectively takes two seconds and you swipe them. Right. And that's true for all of these apps, essentially like not the, maybe not the, I don't know, some of the early big ones now, right? Like eHarmony or something. I don't know. I'm not super familiar with this world. 400 questions. I know. Correct. But like on this, so these apps you swipe. And so what it's basically doing is turning the idea of a relationship into an assessment that takes two seconds that you swipe on and that is essentially an endless smorgasbord of opportunity. Yeah. I can't think of anything more dehumanising and less empowering than this universe mm. and frankly I don't think it's been a force for good in the world. That's my personal view of this. I think, I think there's two really interesting points that come from that. One is, and I don't know the exact stat, but it's something like um, – Women are interested in maybe the top ten percent of men, or something. So there's ninety percent right. of men who who just but almost never get clicked on. So guys and because click oh, on. Oh, you don't everyone. mean in life? You mean on the apps? Because there apps. seems to be more than ten percent of men who are married. But I guess yeah, there are all the women that are like, all right, well, I've got but, to go really for like got, you know, um, number eleven or something. It bifurcates on apps. So women are choosing right. a really small number of people, and, and it's a tiny number of cohort of men are, yeah. are sort of caught cleaning up. And then you've got yeah. this. Loneliness. What have they, what have they got though in common? Like what are they good looking? Like what's oh, absolutely what, good looking? Good yeah, hundred percent. And then, and then the second issue is because I mean, if you're meeting through a friend, looks is obviously important. But you're being recommended by a friend, and, right. and sort of, and you'll say, "Oh dear, ignore." Goes, ignore Adam's looks. Like uh, just he's a really good guy. It's not easy to ignore your looks though. Just to yeah, put that exactly. out there. Great, right. great face <laughs> for, for podcasting. But, um, <laughs> But ignore people will say ignore the looks, and then he's, Adam's a really good guy and he's really smart, so forget about the looks or whatever. So, and people do. So I think when you're getting set up, looks become more. That's still always relevant. Yeah, they're less less relevant. Versus, as I say, with, with when that's apps, all you've got, it's all you got. Plus uh, a few lies about yourself that yeah, you put exactly. down there, right? And plus, so, you know, people are choosing the best pictures, that kind of stuff. But then, yeah. then you got the the issue, and this is a really serious issue of, of loneliness and male loneliness, yeah. and, and the stats yeah. around, and it's more so for males, and something like record number of males in America aren't having sex at the moment in the th- in the 20s which is mm. like pretty problem don't have girlfriends have never mm. had sex like there's there's a real problem and, and that, that leads that to things can, like shootings and depression and, and, and you think you can shake this back to a lot of this to the way that people are meeting their potential i'm not sure there's a hundred percent correlation but i think it doesn't help yeah uh, and it's problematic and it's problematic when we're taking away things that aren't purely look based yeah. and we're adding Oh, sorry, taking away non-look based things and only ba- basing on one thing. So there's people who who are lonely and who shouldn't be. Okay, you know what we should do on this podcast, Mike. It's going to remind us of this. <laughs> we should try and find someone who's in this industry and senior, and we should try and get them on this podcast, and yep. we should try and interrogate them about this because I think it's, you know, it's an unbelievable intersection of like a societal change and business. We probably have to get someone in the US. I don't think they really have Australian offices, any of these apps. We'll hunt them down. If we have to go and do a podcast in New York, well, I'm prepared to pay that price. All right, this is my last comment. Last week, I think last week, you know what we did on every episode. I can't even remember, like yesterday. (laughs) So, did we talk? Did I whine about the Ace Hotel last episode? Okay. So I said I thought it might be illegal if they show a price and then they say there's no way to pay except for charging a fee for a credit card. Well, Steve Huey, you know Steve, great friend Steve. He lives. He literally lives. 100 metres from here. Does he? Yeah. Okay. So um, given that we're elevated with big windows, we can probably see his house. Um, uh, you 
can from the other side of the All office. Right. There you go. Well, yeah. I won't. I won't be looking in. Your, <laughs> I won't be using the telescope <laughs> to look in your window, Steve. But yeah. so Steve, so Steve runs iFly Flat, yep. which is a business, great business that helps you earn and use frequent flyer points in order to never have to fly economy class again. So he tells you, he does two things. He tells you, A, how do you, which credit cards to use. So you use Amex yep. and rather yep. than the ones you get much less points and all that kind of stuff. Then obviously he can book your flights for you because it's pretty hard unless you know what you're doing. Yes. Well, he did share with me, by the way, that Ruslan, who we had on the show yep. two weeks ago, Kogan, was, is one of the only guys he's met that produces comprehensive and accurate spreadsheets to work out the best use of his points. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not shocked to hear that. And to be honest with you, I, I think, I say, as I said to Steve, haven't we all, all of us nerds done that at some point I spend in time? 20% of my time maximizing oh, my points. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. So anyway. I spent, I spent hours speaking to Steve about this stuff. So we should actually get him on the pod one time because he's great talent. So Steve sent an email to me or a message, I think it was a LinkedIn message, and he said to me, you're right, they're not allowed to do at the Ace Hotel what they do. And then he sent me a link to the ACCC's <laughs> uh, ruling on it which I or, or guidance on it, which I read. And it's actually this. You can um, force people to pay a fee. So you don't have to provide a fee-free really? way to pay, yes. But if there is no fee-free way to pay, then the price that you quote – needs to include the minimum fee that you're paying. So you can't say it's $400. If I've got no way to get it for $400, you have to say – It's bait and switch. Yes. If it's a 2% fee, you have to say it's from minimum $408 with the fee. And so that is what you have to do. And then there's all of these rules that say – if you display the fee separately, you can't make the text smaller than you mm. make the text of the price. And yeah. so fundamentally, I think the Ace Hotel doesn't know the rules. I think Broad Ace Hotel was one of many, many, many businesses that were probably that's right. right. But but what they but that's that's the bottom line is I was right. What they were doing was yeah. you're not permitted to no, be able no, no, to do. Right. All right. Yeah. So thank you, Steve, thank for you, clarifying Steve. that. On that note, I think we'll take a super quick break and be back with our first story on the incredible chemist warehouse backdoor listing. Adi, I imagine you're a big-time property investor? I'm the opposite to a big-time property investor. I know how to grow businesses. I'm good with startups. I'm good with growth businesses. I can buy listed equities. I can invest in funds. But um, I'm definitely not very sophisticated when it comes to property investment, I regret to inform you. I hear you. There's only so many things you can be expert in, and most people who invest in property are really flying blind. That's where performance property comes into it. They're a high-end property advisory firm who work with some of Australia's smartest investors. Performance Property will help you strategically grow your portfolio, utilize data sets, and make sure you're not overpaying. They even conduct detailed due diligence and even help with existing assets. They essentially make buying property as easy as buying a BHP share. If you've got more than $500,000 in equity to invest and are looking to build a multi-million dollar portfolio, give Performance Property a call on 3 8539-0300 or visit their website at performanceproperty.com.au And we're back and for our first story we have the backdoor public listing of pharmacy giant Chemist Warehouse. After almost a decade of taunting investment bankers all around Australia, Chemist Warehouse founders Jack Gans and Mario Verrocchi shocked market watchers by deciding to undertake what is essentially a reverse takeover of publicly listed pharmacy business, Sigma Healthcare. Sigma owns the Amcal, Discount Drug Stores and Guardian Brands. It actually used to be a generic drug maker, but sold that business back in 2010. Chemist Warehouse has been one of Australia's greatest retail success stories of the last three decades. 
And the deal values the Gantz and Verrocchi families at $2.4 billion each. Another winner for the transaction is former UBS banker turned fund manager David DePillar, who became a board member of Sigma and happens to be Mario Verrocchi's cousin. Sigma shares surged on the news, jumping 36% last week. So, dear, how big is this chemist warehouse deal? Uh, What they've done with this business in Australia is completely remarkable. I will say, you know, I've got – I mean, you may not be surprised to know this, but I've got some personal connections. Not not very deep to the Gantz family, but they're not very deep connections, but I'm just going to name drop them anyway. So Damien Gantz, who – so, you know, this whole world of the Gantz family's interest in this world started um, with two brothers – who did the Latan and Lespecs business back in the it's day. Jack and Pharma- Sam, right? yeah, yeah, pharmacists. And I've always thought they were just amazing. I think it was Lespecs first. They were Lespecs, the sunglasses first, and then, then they the Latan. Yeah. And they've just been very good at, I think, spotting overseas trends, seeing yeah. where Australia is behind. I think it was actually Jack's wife, Evelyn, who, who saw the glasses first. Is uh, that right? I'm pretty sure she found them. And so I knew um, – Damien, who's one of the, the sons, like I knew him back in high school days, like uh, he's I think he's a year younger than me. Oh. And um, and also his sister was in medical school with me and is a oh. GP. So yep. I've kind of had kind of peripheral connections to the yep. family and watched their rise and have been very impressed just by their their sophistication and now and the ability to see where the gaps are in Australia as they pertain to this pharmacy industry and how yep. to capitalise on them. And yeah, I've always thought it was very impressive. Obviously, what they've built with Chemist Warehouse is doubly amazing because of the pharmacy industry that we'll talk Yield. about. Yep. Yeah, which is you've got to pick the hardest industry yeah. to try to you know create a behemoth in, and they've managed to do it. But I think we should talk about that because you know we talk a lot about capitalism on this podcast, and the Pharmacy Guild is one of the – few organisations that has successfully been able to stand against the rapidly flowing river of capitalism, put their hands out and stop the river to some degree, although this has gone around their hands. But what do you think about the idea of them even going public? Like the thing I've never understood is you have a business here that is essentially owned by two families, two extended families, and uh, to the point where Depilla, I think Depilla's sister is going to be yep. on the Sigma board as yep. well. And she was um, the first, one of the first franchises or something. Like that. The, yeah. So it's basically two interconnected, extended yep. families. It's a business that makes huge amounts of free cash. Yeah, pays hundreds of millions of dollars of dividends, million, five six hundred million bucks a year. Yeah. In EBIT. So they don't need they don't need in, an injection of cash. No. They're not really selling down as part of this deal. In fact, one of the challenges and the reasons for this deal was how to get 20% free float, which means shares not owned by people who are not going to sell them or can't sell them. How do you do that? And so that was one of the incentives for this deal because you had all the existing Sigma shareholders floating around. Why would you go public if you were them? Like what's the motivation to be have all of this transparency and pressure from external shareholders and short-termism and all of the diseases of public markets? Why would why would they do it? What, why, what's so the many, motivation? So many fascinating parts of this business and this deal. I think it's going back a step. I'll definitely try and answer your question. But the success these guys have had – So that really, if you look at this business – really is a media business wrapped in a pharmacy business. So they, they've done an unbelievable job. So the media business does about $600 million bucks well, in revenue. A, that's a great point. You should explain what that media business is. That is a great point. And that, let's be sure, these guys weren't the first. Like the supermarkets have been doing it for years. Uh, Woolworths has cartology. So when I say media business, so what call the supermarkets realise, and Amazon with Amazon Media realised about yeah. seven or eight years ago, Bezos fought against it for years, is you had, um, call it the media sector, uh, which is called TV, radio, 
became digital with Google and everything. Mm-hmm. Then you have retails and they're generally two separate things. And yes, the supermarkets had catalogs and they charged for catalog position. But what the re- the retailers realised, probably in the last 10 years at some point, is we're actually, we're closer to the customer than the TV stations. We're like right next to the customer. Let's monetize that customer closeness. And so better. we would say we're very low down in the funnel, like, low in the funnel. like even lower than Google in a way. So Google well, is Google. purchasing intent, yeah. but here I'm in the shop. It's a shop that sells other on, people's stuff. Or you're online in Amazon, for well, example. That's, yeah, well, that's the, the same, right? In yeah. the shop. Yeah. And I'm in a shop that sells other people's stuff. Yeah. And so I'm trying to decide which stuff I should buy. It's a good time for those other people to put their products in front of me. It's it's the perfect business because it's obviously super high. Margin. We talk about, we've talked about supermarket margins for ages of being sort of called sub 10% when you factor in whatever, yep. all that stuff, 30% gross, 10% whatever, yep. whatever it is. 30% gross at a stretch, I would say, yep. but yeah. Uh, and that's, and they're, pretty dominant these these businesses yeah. everybody else is less uh, so you've got pretty low margin core business and a super high margin like probably like 80 plus percent margin media business why is it not 100 percent margin because oh, you pay a few staff or something you got some costs in there but yeah. uh, and look at Cato, which is a big bit expensive business to run with those tech guys but, yeah. and girls uh, but if you look at chemist warehouse they do 600 million bucks in media sales the entire EBITDA was yeah, it might be that. <laughs> Well, because this is my argument. You know, I always say to you, I do not like owning businesses that sell other people's stuff. Yeah. But if you get big enough, yeah. you can start charging those other people and keeping almost all of the money yeah. to, for them to try and convince customers to preferentially buy their product over other products, almost Absolutely. at the moment of sale. Do you and- know Brad Moran's? I actually interviewed Brad Moran for my last. He's a great oh, guy. One of the great guys that? of Australian tech is Brad yeah. Moran. So his story is a fantastic one. I, I'm not sure if Brad actually listens, but we should get Brad on, actually. I've never even heard of him, but maybe I've heard of his business. He's an ex-AFL footballer, like literally played 30, 40 games, a pretty decent footballer. Uh, Didn't play one game, played like quite a number of games. So Brad Moran started a business called NoQ, which was essentially like a beat the queue posse, one of those like pre-order coffee businesses. And we, when we had a, um, so we had a, our original restaurant ordering business and we, we actually tried to, started using him to do our tech. And then we ended up selling it to Gavin Hezzy, famously, uh, for Scrib. And Brad, super nice guy. He could have held it. We had this contract with him. We said, mate, we've sold the business. Yeah. And, he, and he said, no worries. That's totally fine. Uh, he could have made us pay money to him, whatever. But he was just a really good guy. Yeah. Uh, really good guy. And then he, his business, he had a few issues with his business in terms of he got shafted by shareholders, venture capitalists. Well, actually, I interviewed him. We'll try and put this interview on the feed at some point. But he got yeah. completely shafted by a bunch of backers who, who basically booted him out of his own company. Same old story. Yeah. And the best revenge, he started a business called Citrus. Uh, oh, Citrus I know Ad. this business. And it was – so it was exactly this. He basically yeah. said said to Dan Murphy's and Woolworths, I'll create a platform for you that you can effectively get your brands to advertise on your site and monetize yeah. it better. He's all of a couple hundred million bucks. So this yeah. is – you, you love seeing these stories of really great guys who had a bit of bad luck who just come back and just show everybody how wrong they were. To be able to create a couple of really good businesses is, is rare. You've done that, but it's pretty rare. And to see a good guy win is, is a great story. And the interview was great. I love Brad. He's one of the, the, the great guys of Australian tech and super humble. Um, so this is a good point that these, you know, so yes, I agree. Like it's this, it's like they only, <laughs> you can make the argument they wake up in the morning and run this complicated retail pharmacy business for the purpose of being able to run ads for the products that they sell. By the way, Am- everything I've heard about um, from inside Amazon, 
about their media business. You, you mentioned that Bezos hated it. Yeah. It's because, you know, they've got a few pillars, Amazon, and they've, they internally are staunch believers in every one of the big pillars they have should make life better for the customer, yep. and the media business arguably makes I it hate, worse I for the customer. I hate the Amazon. I, well, you can't even find a non-advertised product anymore on, yeah, on their f- I, I obviously use Amazon because you have to because you're stuck in that doom yeah. loop, but I, I despise, like, you can't find anything but sponsored products. I don't trust it because yeah. I don't know what kind of quality No, I try to skip run. past the sponsored products. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is the only products that have lots of reviews are the sponsored, are the sponsored ones because the, everyone keeps buying them and, yeah. re, you know, and so... And I, I, obviously but, so answer, my, but answer my question. So that's great. They've got a great <coughs> media business. I think it's an excellent point. We should talk about just the media business for a second as well. Is are you going to tell me why they're IPOing or you're not going to tell me I'll why they're I'll okay, get there. Right. But if you look at the... That is a really interesting business story as well. So you had they sort of did a bit of this stuff, and they they started expanding on the on the supermarket model. And Adam Hilton, who who now runs Stratosphere, so I think he's working with Radix Ali at at Swiss, mm-hmm. and Adam Hilton's a great guy. And he basically they did a deal with Chemist Warehouse. They basically run Chemist Warehouse Media Business, which has the they have a newspaper magazine, they have a TV show on Channel Seven. They've got this completely incredible media business, yeah. and. Not only that is – so we have a mini version of that with Luxury Escapes, yep. but it's tiny. It's like a fraction of the size. But it works well for We've you. got incredible content. These yep. guys have like – we're selling like Swiss vitamins. They make shows out of it. So we pretty easy for us to send someone to the Maldives. pretty hard for someone to do with half an hour con- piece of content oh, on amazing. vitamins. And they do it. And they got Luke Darcy hosting and uh, Sarah – I call her Sarah Holloway still. She's, she's married now, but um, Sarah works with them. So they've um, they've done an incredible job creating a media business. I'm not sure – take out media – there's not much profit there, but that's how they run it. They run a business. It's, they've created this media business on the back of a profitless pharmacy can, business, which is great. And by the way, my best connection to Radek Sali is, you know, he's got his VC thing is a private investment called Light Warrior. Yeah, Adam Gregory. So they didn't have the domain name. Yeah. It came up for sale. I bought it on the drop of domain names, yeah. registered it, and then emailed and said, oh, let me transfer my d- the domain yeah. name to you so you can have your own domain name oh, finally. Nice. So Radek Sully owes me. Radek's, Radek's a, <laughs> I don't know him very well, I but he's Radek. very, he's very nice. Guy. Right? Radek was my – me and Jeremy, who are co-founder of Lux, he was our, one of our first bosses at Jam Factory. So really? he was what's called a LP3. He was like a sort of a manager. Yeah. And then me and Jez were like blow us the low. Uh, <laughs> and he was our manager. And we always – always, Joke about that with him. He's it's, a super generous guy, Rad. But we've digress. But, but when um, you say that it's – so I think, you know, there are retail businesses. They, they, like, you know I call them – like they, I think they're called third-party retail is what my version of selling other people's yep. stuff, yeah? So third-party retailers – That's most retailers. Other than I know. Say it's every retailer. Really. It, was all, it was almost all retailers until the internet came along. Yep. It was very rare to sell your own stuff because distri- – Am- Amway, I guess, did it? But, well, and that's true, but just because distribution was very hard, right? What's the, the, the um, makeup one? Avon? Yeah. Avon? Yeah, they did it through networks, right? Yeah. So you have these retail businesses, third-party retailers, and their Tupperware. business model is sell stuff on really slim margins as a differentiator and make your money back other ways. And yeah. so it's not exclusively that, but as you've said, Chemist Warehouse, great media business, and so they can do that. Costco makes their money on subscriptions. Oh, I love Costco. On ultra-thin margins. Uh, as a business model. I love and, so, and so that's interesting, isn't it? There's these businesses, there are these retail businesses that don't really try to make their profits on the margin on, on the margins they make on the sales. Yeah. They find other ways to make profits just by getting lots of customers around them and selling lots of stuff. And it does remind me, this was the newspaper business before the internet. Yeah. The newspaper businesses have content, fill up this yeah. thing with content, rivers get lots of readers, and then you've got distribution. And that is these rivers of gold that they had for classified ads yeah. only existed for that business model. Yeah. So it kind of reminds me a bit of that. It's a weird business that relies on 
a secondary revenue stream as the sole amount of as the sole profit generator, which was which why newspapers obviously had a great run for hundred years, but was well, every content died. every that's every content business before subscription content. I would have thought TV, TV for example, is much more direct. So you sell ads on the back of TV. Like different advertising business, different newspapers are different in that they, the, the classifieds were very different to the con, the editorial they ran. Oh, I see. TV is much more. I like I've, 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 I've Seinfeld, heads. and I'm selling the ads in the middle of Seinfeld. It's kind of it's linked versus. Oh, because it's a separate section they yeah, used to have in the papers. Like, no, you know, fair I've, enough. I, I'm selling I'm selling New York Times and writing articles on uh, the war, World War Two, and I'm selling this other stuff like. In a completely different section. Like, it's well, what I loved different. about the newspaper businesses is that it was a virtuous cycle because people looked at, let's say, the real estate classified section yeah. because they bought the newspaper, but then people would want to buy it for the real estate classifieds and they got the newspaper. Well, the so I love section, that virtuous cycle. The one section that actually does that is travel now is probably the only last vestige right. of that. So people buy the newspaper for travel, yeah. ad, travel trip section and travel ads because the travel ads is like content, it's travel deals. Yeah, because it's like a serendipitous discovery of yeah. travel by just turning the pages, Yeah, right? and we still advertise a lot in, and so does every travel business. We all advertise in the papers and the three areas that still work for newspapers is travel, real estate and retail because of Harvey Norman essentially and travel is unusual and it is, does have that really nice synergy with newspapers and yeah, the content works. So, anyway, back to chemistry. So you're house. going to tell me this is what's going to happen because yeah. I'm having my serious doubts about whether you're even going to tell me about why they're IPO. The politicians, but then you're the going to tell me about why they're IPO, and then I'm going to tell you why I think that the pharmacy industry is such an interesting yeah. microcosm of the capitalist battlefield. I think if you look at most most businesses at a certain scale tend to go public because it's just easier for legacy reasons. I think is probably the main. I think retail, a lot, most retail businesses are public because there is that, that, there is that great side side effect benefit where you're public, you get credibility, and that helps the retail business. Chemist warehouses probably don't really need that now, but there aren't yeah. many retailers globally that aren't public unless they were public and they've been bought by private equity because they bought them so badly. I can't think of really any retail that's not public. Um, you think of all the big – The Spotlight Group? Yep, that's one. Because um, it's Spotlight Anaconda. Incredibly well run. Tons of yep. stuff. That, yep. That, um, they're still first generation kind of run. The, they're not. Oh, oh well, one, of them, one of them yeah. is kind of, yeah, first so and second. No, you're yeah. right, you're right, um, you're right. Uh, but so you, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good example though. But there aren't many globally that aren't. Yeah, think, think in pharmacy, Walgreen Boots, Alliance, um, CVS, all public. Um, so I think they might have gone public because one is they do have – so they would already be a – an unlisted public company is my guess because the number of shareholders they have because of what they need We're to an do. We're public company. It's supposed to be a lot of – So all they're doing is allowing the public trade of their stock. Yeah. But I think – so one is they might want liquidity opportunities for their shareholders who have been there for a while. And two is they talk a lot about – I gave you a chance to answer the question. Now I'm going to tell you why I think they Because <laughs> I think they've got very big international aspirations and they may yeah. not want to just fund that out of free cash – and take the risk. And so yeah. I think they'll end up possibly raising large amounts of capital down the track to try and expand globally. I think in terms of that, and this goes back to your original Pharmacy Guild point, they've been able to succeed in Australia because they've they, – the Pharmacy Guild helped them, clearly, because they stopped anybody else doing it. These guys found it a really oh. nice way. They used – So we should just talk about this for one second before we say what they used. So the Pharmacy Guild, which is the Pharmacy Union, yeah. they call themselves a guild. I don't know. As far as I know, it's not 1750, so there's no more guilds. Like, they're the Pharmacy Union, yeah. and they've managed to persuade governments around Australia, I think they're most powerful in New South Wales, yeah. to do – to have all of these rules and anti-capitalist, anti-free market rules you and can't regulations. You pharmacy unless you're you a pharmacist. To, you have to be a pharmacist. They get to decide the 
geographical area you're allowed to open yeah. a pharmacy in to stop over competition. Yeah. In, in different jurisdictions, you can own different maximums of pharmacies as a pharmacist, yeah. so you can't go and build a conglomerate. Yeah. And we would say these rules stop free markets and really are not consistent with capitalism. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying it's bad. I know you are, yeah. but there are certain upsides. I mean, I didn't like. There's no say, upsides. Okay, so let me. Unless tell you, you're a pharmacist who wants to own a right. So let me tell you the upsides. It takes a long time to become a pharmacist. You're dispensing medication, so it's an important part of the market. There's a service element that you want from the pharmacist as a patient, especially as an older patient. And in order to make sure that that happens, there's a price for it. Nobody wants to pay money to a pharmacist as a service. So the way that they extract the money for providing that service is inflated prices for medication, effectively. And that system, you may not agree with that system, and I'm not sure if I do either, Mm -hmm. but there is a benefit that is being provided in return for the higher prices associated with the lack of free market competition. My uh, argument against that is the US and UK managed to survive just fine without this ridiculous, archaic... Well, you don't communism. get much service in a US pharmacy. But I, I've, never, I've been to pharmacy in the UK all the time. I've never had an issue. I just go and buy my stuff and leave. Like, all right, well, but that's you. But like now I'm going to make so you 70 paying, years old. So why with, am I paying for the 75-year-old who wants to spend 25 minutes getting a buy some, They can pay well, separately. let me tell you, you're paying for the 75-year-old one way or another with your taxes Yeah, anyway, 100%. Okay? Why do I pay, pay again? <laughs> yeah, so a bad, that, bad health so that's a legitimate argument against it. But what I'm saying is, what I'm doing is refuting your main objection, which is you don't need it. So that's, I get you don't need I'm, it. I'm a but proxy for people, anybody under age of 70. Not well, just well people with, that are on multiple medications that have complex drug interactions and want help, for example, like they well, do- Shouldn't they be paying for it? Why, why should I pay for someone who needs extra service? If I, if well, I'm that's the a, argument. If I'm buying a, a car direct, yeah. I, and, and I'm going to go and buy it and you're going to ask- 5,000 questions and demand all this stuff. Why should I pay for your- that's not what you're- You're saying, because you're going to pay for it one way or another. So your argument really is, why should I pay for it in a more direct way by inflating the cost of pharmacy? I'd rather pay for it by paying taxes and then whatever happens is going to be subsidised by the government anyway. anyway, So you would rather pay indirectly and have more people touch the money and skim bits off your taxes than pay directly. I'm being a bit facetious. I'd rather neither, neither, obviously. Well, well, you're not going to be able to get- like there, well, do you think there should be pharmaceutical a pharmaceutical benefit scheme that heavily subsidises the cost of pharmaceuticals? I think there should be to a degree. I think it's over subsidised in many cases. You don't want a, a system where you can only pharmaceutical help if you're wealthy. So that, that's that's one extreme. But I think right. it goes to the extreme now where people abuse it because they don't pay for this stuff. So I think there's got to be some sort of far greater market impact on this. I think they've just gone too far. So with I that don't. Stuff. So I'm not arguing in favour of the pharmacy union at all. Yeah. What I'm, or I'm not arguing against free market capitalism, although you know I don't think it should be allowed to run out of control because it's terrible and you end up with massive conglomerates that are not good for the consumer ultimately in my view. But, um, but I do think it is wrong to say you're not getting anything in, as a benefit by standing in the way of capitalism and protecting an industry. Like there are industries – like when the car industry was protected in Australia, what you got was – um, expensive and a bit bad cars compared to what you could have received because it's a protected industry, so you yep. don't get efficiencies. What you got on the flip side was lots of jobs and also a car industry in Australia that had lots of flow-on effects. And so I think it was probably oversubsidized, and I think it's you know the World Trade Organization doesn't allow that kind of thing anymore. But you don't get nothing for your blocking of free markets. I think the challenge, and I disagree with the car subsidies, but I think the challenge with that is, and the argument that 
where car subsidies makes a bit more sense is other countries subsidise their car industry. So we were kind of in a race to the bottom there, whereas other countries don't have this ridiculous pharmacy union thing. No, I agree with you. This is the, like one of the last vestiges of protectionism in Australia. It's absurd. They just hire these really good lobbyists who – it's like Qantas Club times 10. No, we're in agreement. But now you should continue saying why, why the pharmacy guild in trying to destroy – Chemist Warehouse, in my view, over a long period of time, yeah. actually helped them dramatically. You should, you should continue that narrative. Well, Chemist Warehouse was Spartan, and they, they used, I forget what it's called, collective. They used this old school thing that was an exemption. They found some loophole yeah. in the laws. Forget the name. Well, they actually got pharmacists to own a piece of each one of their that, There was two things. There was the pharmacy. That they, yeah, they, get, they go into partnership with pharmacists yeah. is one thing. They also used some archaic sort of structure. I forget what it's called. I see. Uh, that allowed them to circumvent some of this stuff. So there was the two things they did. They just outsmarted the Pharmacy Guild. And because they were able to outsmart the Pharmacy Guild, they could create this empire, which remember Woolworths and Coles been trying to get the pharmacy for decades and they haven't been able to. And so Chemist Warehouse created all this value by effectively having almost a monopoly in a way, thanks to the Pharmacy Guild. So exactly what the Pharmacy Guild tried to protect, they created because Jack and and Mario outsmarted them. Yeah, uh, And they've created all this value. In terms of why, would I, if I well, was you know, Sam Gans owns a big chunk. And Sam, of I think Sam, Sam and Jack Eagle. I don't think they're equal, but I think one has thirty percent and one has fifteen percent, oh, okay. or something like um, that. We're very close. Yeah. Um, well, it's just it's just a few billion dollars between brothers. That's yeah. the difference. In, ter- in, terms, in terms of your question, if I was them, I'd be trying to. I guess the other question is: Would you? Are you Adam? Would you be a buyer of Chemist Warehouse stock? Mm. My gut feeling is really well run company. Incredibly well-run company, incredibly smart visionary founders. Agree, with a proven track record in previous businesses in this industry. You've got the founders probably retired. Jack must be. Jack would be 77, 78. Mario probably a little bit younger, but not that much younger. Um, So you've got the founders. Damien is. Damien's very impressive and Damien's younger, but you've got the the founders leaving, which I never like to see. Well, they're eventually just old age. Um, You've got a business that's got incredible penetration. I'm not sure how much more penetration they have here. They're really doing – I don't – think you want to be buying a business at the top of their game when they you want to be selling a business when you're doing well, really that's well. That's true, you definitely so, although they're not really selling in no, this part of the no, But they, they presumably will at some point and this allows yeah. them to sell. And if, in terms of overseas expansion, well you've got Boots, which is an incredible business. CVS is a great business. Uh they've been able to succeed in Australia because these pharmacy they don't have that overseas. So yeah. the key advantage they don't have. So they've basically been able to find a way to succeed in a protected market where they've been the ones managed yeah. that have managed to circumvent the protection. Exactly. 100%. So that, hence, I don't think the international stuff is a real value add there. Well, they think it is. They, I think their growth aspiration was quoted as something like north of infinity or something. Yeah, but that's the, of course you're going to say that because well, that's I mean, a good public. Not many public companies. But they're also, selling, they're also going to be selling down. So like, they, they include it. But I'd be a, I definitely wouldn't be a buyer. Would I be a seller? We offer not investment advice, probably. I tend to follow might be the your Charlie, This might be the Charlie Munger investment which is you're going to end up paying a full price, but it's such a high-quality, well-run business. Mm. And even if it never really grows with international expansion, yep. presumably it's so dominant and solidified in Australia and still has growth in Australia. Like they're, yep. not, they're not on their Starbucks every corner yet. Yeah. Like there's a lot of them. They're, they're pretty ubiquitous. I think that it is a very, you tra- you're right, it is a very, Charlie, it is a very Charlie Munger investment. Uh, there's a lot worse things out there. <laughs> Uh, I don't like the fact – it's a Charlie Munger investment if Jack and Mario are 25 years younger, for sure. That that would be my main okay, cause of concern. Interesting. The, the fact that media business is already incredible, I don't know how much more they can get out of that. Yeah, um, yeah you probably – I'd rather own this than probably Woolworths or Coles, but yeah. I, I'm not sure I'd be a, a buyer. 
Uh, but I'd definitely a seller if I was them. So that's why they've been fighting, I would have thought. So, I, you know, ultimately, like my last comment on this is to finish off, what they've managed to do is that rather than going through the front door process and no doubt having a massive public media war with the pharmacy guild trying yep. to IPO this business yeah. and a million other people um, and struggling to figure out how to get a free float of 20%, you know, because yep. it's a big – the markets are largely closed for IPOs, yep. raising – Many hundreds of millions of I dollars. Could have, I think actually they could have gone away. They might have, but like raising hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for free float would have yeah. been hard. It would have been very hard for them to sell down as part of – like they would have had to do a billion-dollar capital raise in order to sell down yeah. and get some free float. It would float. have been a much lower price than they're getting through this yeah, as well. Yeah, slower process. And so what they've managed to do is effectively – find something with which they've already got a deep relationship, like Sigma is a big supplier yep. of Chemist Warehouse as of not yep. that long ago, and a friendly shareholder that owns 20% of it and say, why don't we bring these things together? That will give us lots of shareholders, lots of free float. We can raise some money. I still think there's a decent chance it will be blocked. Yeah, I think that's a big I think HRPC is a big worry. Also, Sigma runs Amcal and a bunch of these big brands, So there's, which is obviously why it might get blocked. Yeah. But the one real area of upside is you potentially rebrand some of those pharmacies, Chemist Warehouse. Because Chemist Warehouse makes like 12, 13 million bucks a yeah. pharmacy versus 2 million for everyone else. They're a profit-making beast, these guys. Uh, it so- might also get blocked because Sigma is part of the supply chain of Chemist Warehouse and then they're going yeah. to buy and vertically integrate yeah. their business, which is great for the business, but it means anyone who competes with Sigma in that part of the supply chain is mm. now no chance of ever getting a look in to by far the biggest pharmacy business ways, in Australia. They, they can hive stuff off. There's ways yeah. – I, I think the bigger issue is yeah, the, the, the sort of competing pharmacy They should have brands. to sell that business, the yeah. vertical integration yeah. business. Well, I think that's why they want – Mario's been on the record saying I want to create a Boots, which is much more vertical than, than what they have. Yeah, what but, we have here. But we are not the size of the UK. Yep. yep. And so we run monopolies, duopolies, at best oligopolies in Australia. Yeah. And so, you know, yep. that's the that's a risk. All right. I, yep. I know that – and I can see you looking at your, the time. I'm looking at my time. So that means and that we'll I've got to stop to talking, right? A quick break and be back with our second story on working from home. Adir, what's your experience been with SEO across all the businesses you've worked with? Well, I actually had an agency that did SEO at one point in time. And so through that, I I was not the SEO guy. And through that, I got some insight into just how um, complicated and sophisticated SEO is. And since then, I've tried a variety of different people and solutions. And it's a bit of a mix and match for me. I don't have a very sharp answer for you on that. We're the same. I reckon we've cycled through a dozen agencies before we discovered Portal Ventures. And these guys are the real deal. We actually use them at Luxury Escapes and our SEO traffic has jumped dramatically. We also use them in a business called Bookwell, which I used to chair. And the SEO there was so good, we actually were able to sell the business to the global leader, almost purely based on how much organic traffic we had from SEO. The guys at Portal Ventures work with some of the best Australian marketplaces and e-commerce businesses, including Flipper, Programmer, Mad Paws, Camplify, and Autoguru. These guys are literally the best of the best. Exclusive to Contrarians listeners, the team at Portal will give you a free one-hour consultation if you mention Contrarians. To get in touch with Mike and the team, call them on 1300 121 261 or go to www.portal.ventures. And for our second story, we have a topic very close to my heart, working from home. A pandemic-era anomaly that is hanging around like a bad case of syphilis. Last week, 
The Financial Times reported that 16% of human resource officers at large companies believe remote employees might secretly work for multiple companies. Meanwhile, 50% of bosses said their business had punitive policies for workers who flouted rules. A big jump on the 16% who said this back in September 2022. What is most surprising for me is there are 84% of HR managers who aren't aware that a chunk of their people who work from home have actually got multiple jobs. This comes as we see an increasing number of work-from-home-related employment law disputes end up in the Fair Work Commission. The tribunal recently ruled that salary packaging provider Maxia had reasonable business grounds to reject a case advisor's request to work exclusively from home. It found that face-to-face interactions in the office helped improve productivity, training, and general team culture. Idea work from home isn't one of the most vexed issues for businesses, with many still only requiring team members to attend the office three or even less days per week. What are your views on this pretty interesting topic? Well, this is a great and interesting and controversial topic. I want to say that the reason I never read your intros ahead of time is just so I can get the amusement of things like you comparing stuff to syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Where would I be if I if I pre-read it? Like I'd be I thought it's an hour's pre-reading, but clearly, clearly not. I hours, yeah. Can you? I mean, nobody nobody that has ever met me would necessarily believe that comment. So, <laughs> so I think let's talk about work from home as hybrid work. That's a better way to talk about this because yep. that is the concession that people in favour of this kind of work are, are calling it. Well, they, they accept that it's not going to be well, totally remote last year work. Is totally remote. There's plenty of businesses that are totally right. remote. So that's fine. And like we'll see how Atlassian plays out when yep. they're paying rent for the, all of the new office buildings yep. that they've just bought or, or rented or whatever they've done with them. No, but they, they own it. They own it. Yep. Okay, there you go. So that's kind of in a way easier if they own it. I own part of it. I think there's yep. probably obviously more. So I'm going to tell you some news that you're not going to like. <laughs> But then I'm not going to tell you if I agree with it or not. The news is this. If you're under the age of 35, there is – if you're under the age of 35 and an employee, then your view on the future of work is hybrid work. Now, I'm basing that off no data and no study, (laughs) just anecdotally having spoken to dozens of people that fit this mold. Not a single one I don't think that I've spoken to, maybe there would have been one that I forgot, but but I don't think so, has said, yeah, everyone's just going to go back and work five days a week in an office. Nobody under 35 that I've spoken to thinks that. I'm not sure that's right. For a start, we work, we're four days from the office, one day optional from the office. Thursday, today is the optional day. Well, that just reinforces my point that I've just made. You can look outside and there's still plenty of people here optionally and a bunch of them are under 35. So that in real life- What are you talking about? I walked outside, I saw three people in the office today. Oh, it's like 30, 40 people. Where? All around. This All right, is, I'm going to take you a walk like around. The office. I don't know. Maybe I've got some eyesight problem and I only see one out of every 10 people uh, that are in the office. Go downstairs where you're contacting. There's All plenty right. of people. Be, we get 25% of people in on a work from home, on a non-compulsory right. day. And but, every month we force people to come in all four let days. Let me even concede that. You're still reinforcing my point. 75% of people are not working five days a week in the office. And so before you argue with me about yeah. this, what's going to happen when you say, what would happen if tomorrow you said – it's five days a week in the office or find a different job. Which we will probably do at some point, uh, probably next year, I suspect. And we'll, What's going to happen? Well, I went. I mean, we were the first to go three days and people go, oh, no one wants it, nobody wants it, everybody's going to quit. No one quit. We went four days, oh, no, but you can't do that. Nobody quit. In fact, when we, I, I've done some pretty interesting data analysis. of. I looked at the people, who, this is about six months ago, and when work from home was more in vogue, it's, it's really already out of fashion really for most cases now, but – 
if you look at uh, six months ago, I looked at anybody who'd started in the last 12 months. Yeah. And we had some people who were sort of hyper remote. These are people we hired in other states. For, like, we hired a bunch of people in sort of court Queensland that just, we didn't have an office up there. So they had to be remote. And we hired people obviously in Melbourne. Uh, and we looked at the people who we compared it and the attrition rate of court, the hybrid, flexible, non-working mm. office was double. So it was something like 18% of people who were working from the office didn't work after a year and something yeah. like 35% of people who are remote. So the whole concept, and this is the, this is the, the trope is that if you make people work at the office, they're more likely they won't, they'll just leave. The reality is the opposite. The reality is people who work, who come to the office are much, much more likely to stay. And there's a pretty obvious reason for that. Do you, can you guess what that reason right, is? So before you make me guess reasons, I just want to <laughs> say you haven't mastered the political art of just answering whatever questions you have <laughs> for this episode, because my comment was not that, people under 35 will not work in the office. My comment was, for them, the future of work is hybrid work. What you're, you're not arguing against that. You're just saying, I'm, I'm shattering their dreams. That's what you're saying. I'm introducing them to the new reality, no, which well, is, that's not what's going to be happening. But no, that but is can, what they, they believe. Work somewhere. There's plenty. They can work, go work at Atlassian. Well, they, I they know never, they, they, I know. And they're choosing not to. So either they really like Adam Schwab, pretty sure that's not the case, or they, like, they, they want to come to the office and work. Yeah, so, or, or the labour market is not as good as it was during COVID. But so 3.7% unemployment, I think it's pretty good. But my argument is you are changing the views that these people hold by forcing them to come into the – forcing is the wrong word – by insisting that they come into the office. I agree with you. What I'm saying is wherever that has not happened, yeah. the view of under 35s today is still the future of work is hybrid. And so anyone that runs a business that employs especially people under 35 – that does not want to have hybrid work going forward is going to have to go through a re-education process yeah. with these under 35s. All you're saying is that's what you have done in this business. What I'm saying is we've done that and the, and the trope that people will quit if you make them come to the office is not only wrong, it's like completely wrong because they're more likely to leave if they don't come to the office. So I think there's, there's so many different issues here, but – let me, let me guess. People are happier because they're around other people, and that is what the evolutionary history of Homo sapiens has been. Well, Scott Galloway's got a great, a great, makes a great point. Is the reason you stay at your workplace the number one reason you stay at your workplace? Do you, can you guess what it is? Because uh, you like the people around yeah, you. Exactly. You've got a, you've got one friend in the office. If you yeah. have one friend in the well, office, if you have two friends, stay or go. Well, even more likely <laughs> okay, to stay. Good. But if you have got one friend, like. It, it goes from, I don't know the stat, it goes from 30% to 80%. It's a huge difference if you've got one friend in the office of yeah. staying because you've got a reason to come to work because you want to be friends. I agree. Same as like, like agree. when you like school or uni, same, same sort of thing. That's why people hate politics because there's no friends in politics. I think there are friends. Everyone backstabs you in politics. But there are friends. I'm actually, telling you, every politician that leaves says uh, yeah. is, you can't trust anyone in this a place. A lot of them stay around for a while. They can't do anything else. That's true. Uh, but, but so you go back to. And my great point of why people leave if they're not in the office is there's no real connection. A, you got, you, you're not you're going to get to work with friends. So I love to come in and be with friends who are in the office. Uh, but if I'm – let's say I've got a, a, an engineer who's typing on our code base and, he's, and he, he or her is working remotely. Yeah. And Atlassian comes and offers them 20 grand more. Yeah. And they go, oh, hold on. Well, I'm not going to the office anyway. Why don't I just go work for Atlassian for 20 grand more? That's a great point. It's, there's no connection. We, we give – we started giving – but I think there's also an onus on employers to ensure that the – environment is a good one. So yeah. I don't think you can take it for granted and say, every single person has to come into the office and we're going to treat you terribly. You have to work in a cubicle, not speak to anyone, not have any fun. You got to, there was, there's a carrot and a stick. So you got to, we, we, and we were pretty quick in saying, we want you back in the office, but we're going to make sure it's a really fun environment. We're going to make sure everybody comes in, not, 
the worst situation is like 25, 30% of cat people coming in because that's just, just, just depressing. But yes. So we said we want everybody in and we want – You picked – so if, even if you – when you were doing three days a week, yep. you said these are the three days you come in. I think that's yep. a fantastic Couldn't be idea. Monday or Friday because I thought people don't, aren't very productive at home on those days. Yeah. Uh, we also gave lunch. We give lunches every day now and it's yeah. like a chef – so if you look at the value of the lunches the chef. we give – a chef comes You're paying for a chef. It works out, call it 15 bucks per person per day. Yeah, I get that. Which is $15 more than you would be hoping to pay. Yeah, but it's a great engagement tool and, and people love okay. it. I'm supportive of it. I'm just and, impressed that you're doing but th- it. But think of the value for, an, for a staff member. If you're saying, let's say you spend 20 bucks on lunch every day and there's, uh, call it 300, or call it 250 days at work, that's that's five grand. That's yeah. post tax. So we're saving yeah. people eight grand, seven, eight grand a year. Yeah. It's costing us obviously less than that because there's no FBT, fringe benefit tax, if it's on site. Is that so, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you about no, that. I was, I was planning to refer, after this conversation, I was actually planning to refer you to the ATO, but it's interesting uh, that you say that. there's no fringe benefits tax 100%. if it's on site. Uh, well, that is a, that's always been the case. You know, this whole podcast is worth people's time if the <laughs> only thing they take away from that is that particular piece of information because I think that is it's a, a radically good benefit, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And so team love it. We also get – you're also saving time. So instead of someone walking down Clarence Street for 20 minutes each way, you're wasting 40 minutes in travel time. People can – it's like we have a bit of a line because it takes three minutes in the we line. We should say Clarence Street for the 99% the of listeners that don't work in South yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, that's the local so, – But anyway, but any local yeah. area. So yeah. if you're in the city, you go down to whatever. That's that's half an hour it takes you to – and then you've got to order. And all, so we save people 40 minutes a day of just wasted time as well. So it's just an absolute classic win-win. I think win-win. that's a great idea. But we, so we, we did that. We wanted to make – give a sort of quid pro quo to our, our team. Yep. Uh, but we also expect people to come in and have, have fun and, and like coming here. So we've got a team that sort of spends all their days, how do we make the office a more fun place to be? Uh, so I, I do agree with people who say, well, the office is terrible. They make me work in like, a, you know, the office, David yeah, Branch. Yeah. It's that. Yeah, I understand yeah. why people don't want to work in that. But yeah. also if you think of first principles, there's so many reasons to – the classic reason is if you want to get promoted, if, so if you're young and want to get promoted, mm. almost impossible if you're not around your boss every yeah. day. Because you can say it's not fair, but if you're not in front of your boss every day, that's not going to promote you. They're going to promote Adir over there because Adir is in front of me every remember day. Remember when Craig Hutchison was speaking at your event yeah. and said the way he got promoted is he just came into work yeah, at earlier. five o'clock in the morning or something every yeah. morning just so the boss would and see him last. there and left last. And without the re- – I mean, you obviously he's a talented guy, but – by his in his words, without the requisite skills necessarily yeah. to be better than his peers, he was yeah. the guy that got promoted and got to write early on in his career. I think they, uh, I love first principles. You think of first principles of hybrid versus work versus working in the office, and ultimately we had this COVID era, and you and I obviously agree on pretty much everything related to COVID. But COVID created all these distortions, so I won't talk about why. But created all these distortions, and labour market was probably one of the biggest distortions of all because they printed all this money and all yeah. This, so you had this huge labour market distortion and work from home was A, obviously a, creature, a feature of the ridiculous COVID policies, but also a feature of the COVID policies plus the labour force distortions, which created this unique once in a millennium situation that hopefully doesn't get repeated again. Yeah. Plus you had the Zoom, so you had the ability to do it from, from home It'll be well. once a century because by the time the next pandemic comes, all of the lessons of this one will have been forgotten, forgotten yeah. as all of them from the last flu were forgotten effectively. Well, think, think of how we handled the 68 and 58 pandemics, the Hong Kong flu and the 58 pandemic, they were handled perfectly. They were not that different to COVID in terms of scale, but nobody, everybody forgot about them because they didn't have this reaction. Mm. But, uh, but obviously Spanish flu was, was different, but Spanish yeah. flu was massive, massively less reactory than what we just saw in COVID. Yeah. But I, I think as 
that situation. And, and that's the labor market normalizes. This is starting to normalize interest rates. The value of mo- the cost of money is normalized. Everything is normalized. Everything reverts to the mean. You know, my favorite, my favorite saying is things revert to the mean. Everything reverts to the mean. And I think the mean here is people working from an office because it's better for staff and it's better for the employer. So it's better for team members. So these are the problems that I would list about working at home. For psychologically, there are problems. I think yep. a lack of separation between – I've been persuaded of this – a lack of separation between a home environment yep. and a work 100%. environment is not mentally good. And and the fact that you are always tempted to go and do laundry, for example yeah, – Make dinner, like, it's not, walk the it's dog. Not, I'm not even talking about productivity. It's not good mentally. Yep. The second problem is not being around other people – that is a, has evolutionary problems, and that is not good mentally. Yeah. It, that's going to f- absolutely make a contribution to to mental health issues. 100%. You can't learn. So yeah. one of the things, especially being younger in a workplace, like I hear this a lot from, um, you know, I unfortunately have lots of lawyers in my life, <laughs> and so I hear from my lawyer friends, let's call them, um, that um, <laughs> that young grads coming into work during yeah. COVID basically didn't advance in their understanding of the law for the period that there was work from home. So you don't learn. You said you don't get promoted. I think that's also true. In fact, some companies are now saying if you don't come into work a certain amount of time, you're not going to get promoted. And the other thing that's an issue is there is serendipity in a business environment where you just go and say, I'm thinking about this, walk over to someone and they give you an answer to it and it changes the way you think about a problem. And so generally my view is um, that there are more problems with working from home than there are benefits from it. Also, if you work from home the majority of time and you're not working more than one job, you're really not maximising your economic opportunity. Yeah, like you 100%. should be working more than one job. We hear people right? have like five or six jobs. Well, I mean, I'm like, I don't know how they pull that off, but yeah. definitely during COVID. Oh, they're, not, they're not working very hard. No, well, that's the thing. Up. During COVID, I remember I listened to a, another podcast, which was like a, a This American Life or Radio yeah. Lab or something, yeah. where they were talking to somebody that was working from home. And that person's theory was, I sign up to a job, I, I do almost nothing, yeah, it's going to take them four or five yeah. months to realise and then another couple of months to fire me. Yeah. And so I get six months of free money. Absolutely. Not even having to work at all from this yeah. particular company. And people were so desperate to hire tech staff yeah, that people just kept doing that. Yeah. And in one case, they found out this person, a person was working for two companies, taking full salaries. They just left them do it because they, pro- the they were productive yeah. enough. Yeah. To, to be to- the norm. I, I reckon everybody at Lassian's got multiple jobs. I don't think anybody's got one job. Obviously, Mike has multiple jobs and he runs a joint. So no fair comment. enough. But, um, I think just the one caveat, though, is. But I am in favor of some hybrid working. So I just want to say that I don't I personally don't mind the idea of saying on Wednesdays, for example, you can work from home. That we just trust you to do the right thing because I think that that gives people an opportunity to like it's like Wednesday is not a nice day to have like for most people at work. Like it's a hump day. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's actually traffic on Wednesdays because uh-huh. everyone's coming into the office. Also, you know, like unfortunately, lots of service providers that you need they work business hours as well, and so you never get a chance to actually my, my view engage is, with them. So I'm my right view with is, that. and we've we've always we've always been maximum flexibility. Yeah. So pre and pre COVID. So if you need to get your dog groomed or or have a haircut or whatever, yeah. go take the time. Like we're not going to just work an hour late or whatever or make it up or, or whatever it is. So we've always been about – and if you need to pick a – and I think the, the, the 
where work from home, work from home is not the right way. Where flexibility is really important is if you're a carer, especially for kids, but parents yeah. as well. So if you if you're a carer of parent of kids, then absolutely you need to be able to pick up the kids. Kids can't walk home from the school if you're three years old, so or five years old. So clearly, for a cohort of people, it's usually with young kids. We need to be pro flexibility, and we, we are. We even though I'm pretty bullshit on work on work from my office, mm. we have plenty of exceptions if there's justified for it, and that's usually kids, but not always just kids. Uh, but ultimately, that's a, again a point in time. For, for that person. And when the kids get to secondary school, then you can come back to the old, whatever. But so I think we've got to maintain flexibility wherever is needed, but that's very different to the Atlassian work from home, work from anywhere, what team anywhere, whatever they have, which just makes no sense commercially, economically, morally, mentally for any of these people. It just is a, is a nonsensical point in time COVID decision that anybody who doesn't change with the circum, what's that famous saying? When the facts change, I change my mind. The facts have changed here. If you haven't changed your mind and you're running a business, Atlassian has this, great moat of people subscribing to that SaaS product. So they can mismanage that company for the next 20 years and still be Well, we could say they can – they can, they can, Revenue They've got much more capacity for experimentation because of that cash generation, which you would say is a consequence of paying people in stock. Exactly. That, I, it's like I can read your <laughs> yeah. mind now. Um, that, that, so they can experiment. So do you think – this is the question on this. You're the reversion to the mean man. Yeah. Do you think – because there's a big problem at the moment globally with – office space you know yeah. i mean basically yeah, yeah. nobody Too wants it the rents are low and so on and so well the rents are low where people have come to, yep. re- to ex- and, and where people are accepting that they should lower rents right some yep. places they're holding out they're just vacant yep. do you think that problem will revert back to the mean and like we won't have to end up with too much office space or do you think that this a fundamental structural shift away from lots of office space i think both i think to an extent you're always going to have businesses that are badly run so i think and it, look at look at government organisations who aren't bringing people back to work because they don't care. It's not their capital. Like oh, they're just sending taxpayer money, inf- so they're not going to bring people back to work because they don't give a stuff. Is there anything more infuriating than paying taxes? Those taxes yeah. going to pay public servants, which I can accept, and those public servants not having to oh. go into the office, it actually infuriates me. Yeah, oh, I mean, the, 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 the other thing is there are plenty of really great public servants who probably want to work from the office but can't because they're other lazy bosses totally don't want to go in themselves. So. Because you're going to have the, these pockets of inefficiency and the pockets of the Alassians who who I think aren't operating optimally. I don't think we'll go back to what we were. Yeah. Because I don't think what also I don't think what we were was perfect. I, I used to be a lawyer, and you have to. I couldn't leave before seven thirty at night because I couldn't leave before a partner. So I think that was yeah. the FaceTime thing was wrong as well. So we always tried to be a business. There's no FaceTime, maximum flexibility, but we want you in the office as much as possible, yeah. which is probably five days, but that could be. Starting at ten, finishing at seven. They could be starting at five, finishing at two. I don't yeah. care when you, when yeah. within reason, when you work. Uh, so I think business have to be more flexible. But the notion that this whole work from home thing is a new paradigm shift that you're going to have fifty percent of people working from home permanently. I don't think that. I think we'll revert to the mean mostly, save for the idiot businesses and the public servants. Well, you know, I'm trying to move in the opposite direction because, as you possibly know, I spend a lot of my life working from cafes, <laughs> and 2024 is the year where I'm committed to trying to go back and work out of an office as much as possible because I think oh, – that's very nice – because I think it um, focuses the mind and puts you in a certain us. frame of mind that is just very hard to do anywhere else. Here's a question for you. Who, when we came back to work in like 2021 or whatever from, from COVID, who do you reckon was the first cohort of people to come back to the office? Oh, that's an interesting question. Like, as in, who was the most enthusiastic yep. to come back to the office? Day one. Uh, anybody screeching with so- of tires, sort of. Yeah, something. anybody with something at home that they wanted to get away from. Dads with kids. Absolutely. Oh, there you <laughs> go. I hit the nail. Okay. It was everything. You, you looked through the office. It was 
like everybody in there was dad, dad. It was like, this is when it was, nobody was working for the office. Yeah. It was, I, I worked the whole time because I was the only one in the office for like four months, but it was dad, 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 dad. Eventually everybody else started coming in. Now we got whatever. I know one particular guy whose name I certainly won't mention, who's a <laughs> very wealthy guy who has an office that he goes to religiously yeah. every single day. Doesn't do a ton of work from the office, but fundamentally it's yeah. just his way yeah, of getting the time to not have to be told to do errands because if he was uh, at home, he's confident he would be told to do errands. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I think it's, I forget the errands thing. It's, it's just that I think you need that routine, that schedule as well. And it's, as you say, you, it mixes it. And my wife hates it when I'm around the at home. She, she actually works from home most of the time because of kid stuff and all that kind of stuff. But she hates it when I'm there. Like uh, She's the most enthusiastic work from the office person other than me, I think, in Australia, just to get me out of the house. So the, I think the place that I find the most difficult conversations about this topic is when I talk to founders who are under 35. Mm. So the challenge with founders who are under 35 is that um, many of them have a natural disposition, which is to try and make people happy, yeah. people please, which – like I suffered from that for a, for a lot. Actually, there was a moment in my founder career where I made a conscious decision that I had to be tougher. Yeah, and I forced myself to make that change. And then I think I was a bit too tough, and now I think I've come back to a place of yeah. a happy middle. So one is they start off wanting to please people, and then they've got all of these uh, people who are just a bit younger than them, yeah. who don't want to work from the office. And they have some understanding of that mindset because they're under 35 and yep. they, in my experience, it's, they are the hardest for me to persuade that they should be bringing people back to the office. I find it interesting that you're focused on called the younger cohort, the Gen Zs. When you look at the data- well, They're really millennials, these people. Yeah, we look like me. But you look at the data- well, They're actually millennials. <laughs> Technically, I think I am. You look at the data- and it's actually the younger cohort of people who are actually much more likely to come in. The people who are less likely to come in the office are 35 plus, 35 to 50, and they're more the independent contractor. They've, they've, yeah. got their, they've reached almost the zenith of their career, yeah. and they don't give a shit. They, they, they're not coming in because they're not going to get promoted. I think the younger people actually want to come in, and they're great. So it's, it's a, Bloomberg did some interesting data on that. So I think the, the trope of younger people sitting home watching Netflix all day is actually yeah. not right. So it's I, the 35, 45-year-olds yeah, who aren't coming in. So maybe. And I think maybe I just interact with fewer of them because they're not – the people that you describe, which are um, people, employees that have reached a ceiling in their career, yeah. they're not often founders of businesses that no, they get involved in. So, like, I don't – I'm not exposed to them. But I definitely do see um, a bit of a trend um, in the in, – when you say younger cohort, yeah, like sub-35, I, I, I do see that trend. So it's interesting. We see different things. But I think our view on what is best for people and best for businesses, we're quite aligned on this. Yeah. But you are right. Like one of the changes that this has forced is bosses, business owners, founders um, of maybe less sexy businesses being more focused on making the office environment nicer and better, yeah. which I think is a positive for Absolutely. people. Oh, we've got ideas, kids in there. Oh, why don't we get them on? What, they're, they're, they're sitting well, patiently no, watching all day. No oh, give me a shake in the head. Doesn't want it. But my we got a paternity maybe test maybe here. I think daughter. we definitely need a paternity test here that a shift and doesn't want to get in front of the microphone. <laughs> we got, we got pulling out twenty three May. Th- she can throw to the end of the episode and say thanks for listening to the yeah, contrarians. We'll do that. Perfect. It's, uh, before we go, we'll be actually going straight through. So contrarians army will be happy to know we're not going to take a break. I've forced her to keep working. 
from the office well, over Christmas. That's news to the Contrarians Army and news to me. Simultaneously. We talked about this last week. I don't know. I don't remember that. Anyway, oh, well, well, you've, you've agreed. Uh, so we, we won't be taking a break. I'll be filming from London and Canada. Uh, Adil will be filming from our, the Luxury Escapes headquarters, no doubt, because he loves coming to the office so much. So we've got Schiffman Jr. So why don't we throw to – We can ask her first, Eden. Right? What did you – how did you find that episode? Was that inter- entertaining for you? Yeah. <laughs> You're usually so talkative, but you've given me a one-word answer on What this. was your favourite bit of the episode? Um, I liked a lot of it. I just found it funny. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, we who was, who do you think was the star of the show? Was it, you, was it your dad or was it me? I think it was equal. Oh, equal. That's just, this is there you go. politician politi- in training. Political career in, in yeah. the making. You should say oh, you thought Mike the producer was the most interesting. <laughs> He's the guy who does the most work. That's all the hard way. work. You don't want to go into that job. You have to work <laughs> in that job. Would you like to – at some point, if we talk about things that you know more about than we do, which is probably quite a wide you know, <laughs> you can come on and you can tell us a bit about your experiences with those things. Would you be interested in doing that in the future? That would be really fun. Oh, excellent. How about work from home? Because you're obviously you're year nine, I think. So you're not quite work from home levels yet. But what are your views? When you when you start working in, in five or six years' time, would you rather work from an office or would you rather work from home? I think I would – Probably rather work from home. You'd rather work from home. Look <laughs> at all those cookies we just gave you earlier. Clearly, they don't count for anything these days. Yeah. The car- what was it called, that cookie? Caramel, caramel crown? crown? I mean, you don't get, I mean, the, I was about to say you don't get caramel crown at home, but actually, she, it's whatever she wants yeah, at exactly. home. That's I think it's your, that's your the fault. Problem. For them too. That is the problem with helicopter parents. Exactly. They get whatever they want at home. Yeah. All right. So you're going to come on in future and um, you're going to talk about, if we talk about some business where you're a customer of that business, you can tell us about that. You want to, you want to set up your own small business as well, right? That's what yeah. your interest. She's very interested in business. Yeah. So she'll do that. Will you, will you say thanks for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir? Go ahead. Thanks for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir. Perfect. That's the best send out we've ever had. We will, uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Thanks so much to Eden and Adir and Mike for being here. And then we'll uh, see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians with Adam and Adir. If you want to submit a question for the show, please send a voice recording to Adam J. Schwab at Instagram. Today's show was produced by Mike Liberale. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please give us a rating and don't forget to tell your friends. We'll be back next week for our weekly analysis of all things growth and tech.